Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. It was a Friday night, May 5th, 1989. I was 11 years old playing shortstop for the Southwest Braves. And it was a uh, stormy night, but we were still playing our game, and the storm kept getting a little worse and worse, and eventually they decided to call the game off. But uh, I wasn't too sad because my mom told me we could get five for five from Arby's on the way home. And uh, I love the beef and cheddar, but she would only let us get the five for five. I'm still angry about that. But we got the five for five, go home, and I'm excited because the Bulls are playing the Cavs, game four of the NBA playoffs, huge NBA fan here. And our little um, kind of split-level den, and across the TV, um, in front of the bay window, comes, it's a tornado warning. And uh, I look out the window, and I'm like, it's, it's pretty bad, but I mean, I want to keep watching this game, you know? And all of a sudden, you know, my mom's like, hey, it's tornado warning, go get your pillow, your sleeping bag, we're going to the basement, dad's out of town, Let, let's go. So we, uh, we do that, and we go, and I, I go up to my room, and as soon as I walk in the door to my bedroom, I hear this terrifying sound. And I look up, and a tree is crashing through the middle of my roof and piercing my bed. And I'm really thankful that I'm not laying on the bed at this moment. But I'm also watching rain pour through, and all my baseball and basketball cards and football cards get destroyed by rain. And, and my dad's not there, and I don't know what is going on. I kind of freak out. All of us freak out. We run down to the basement, and we get under this big, heavy wood desk, and we're all, like, underneath it. Psalm 56.3, what time I'm afraid I will trust in thee. Psalm 56.3, what time I'm afraid I'll trust in thee. I'd been in Bible drill, grew up in a good Southern Baptist church. You put the word of God in my heart. And, I mean, I bet we said that a thousand times over the next couple hours. And I was just shaking. And my little sister was, like, two years old, and my brother was, like, five, and my mom was there, poor thing, not knowing what to do with all of us. And finally, a couple hours later, you know, we hear a knock, and one of our neighbors has come over. The storm has passed, and we walk upstairs, and our house is just destroyed. And we walk around the neighborhood, and it is just destroyed. I mean, hundreds of trees. My pastor lived down the street from me, and they had 88 trees that had fallen onto their house. And I just looked around as an 11-year-old, and I'm like, what happens now? Like, how do we move forward from this? Like, will I ever have my own bedroom again? Like, I just remember being like, where am I going to live? And my whole family ended up living in that little den part of our house while they rebuilt the whole upstairs part of our house over the next year. My parents, I think, are still paying off that mortgage. <laughs> um, it, was, it was a really hard thing for me to see the damage, and to wonder how is this going to ever be restored. And my guess is some of you are here this morning and you feel like, man, my life is that way. I have such brokenness and damage in my life, and I wonder how in the world will this ever be restored? How in the world could, could God ever resurrect all that I've gone through, all that I've done, and all that's been done to me? Broken relationships, physical illnesses, anxiety, grief, stress beyond compare, addictions, injustices. Lord, how can you rebuild this? How can you bring resurrection where there is death? Is there any hope? Well, this morning we get to look at that account that Kildu just read from John 10. 
And we get to see that Jesus gives us hope in this resurrected life that he has invited us to participate in. This particular section in John 10, verse 22, begins this one way if you want to open your Bibles with me to John 10, 22. The festival of dedication called Hanukkah took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. You know, as I read the gospel writers and the whole Bible, I'm reminded that every word is God-breathed and that nothing is in here by accident. And John chose to include that it was wintertime. Now, I'm sure he was accurately describing the weather and the time of the year, but I also believe that John was describing the hearts of the Jews that we're about to encounter in this passage. They were cold, they were hard-hearted, and it was like they were stuck in wintertime. And John so eloquently writes that. He says, it was winter and Jesus was there in the temple courts. So if you're here this morning and it's springtime outside and we're in the season of Easter, but you still feel like you're in winter, this gospel and good news is for you. He spoke to the Jews and it's recorded this way in verse 24. The Jews surrounded Jesus and they said, how long will you keep us in suspense? Tell us, are you the Messiah? Are you him? We've been asking you, just tell us. They stopped him in his tracks. They encircled him. I mean, can you picture Jesus in the temple and all these people come around him and he's like, you know, get away from me. What are you doing? You know, and they're like, tell us. We're ganging up on you right now. You've got to tell us, are you the Messiah? But Jesus never answers them straight up. And he does it for good reason. Their understanding of what the Messiah was was false. They wanted this patriotic king to come in and dominate all the rulers that had oppressed them. And if he would have said yes on the Messiah, that's what they would have thought that he was saying. And Jesus knew that they had misunderstood it. He knows they're not really interested in getting an honest answer. Their minds are made up. Their hearts are hardened. They're calloused. And they have chosen over and over again to reject Jesus as the true Messiah. But here's how Jesus responds. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe me. I mean, much like it is in 2019, back in Jesus' day, he was met with much unbelief. Much unbelief. Not, and for the same reason, not because Jesus wasn't worthy of belief, but the same thing that happens to us now happened then. We as humans are so consumed with our own glory, that we cannot see the glory of God. Five chapters earlier, John says this. Jesus says, how can you believe when you seek glory from one another and do not seek glory that only comes from God? Two chapters later, after John 10 and John 12, 43, Jesus says, they love human praise more than they love the glory of God. Y'all, the main obstacle for us truly putting our faith and full belief in Christ is our vain glory, is our pride, is us longing to be glorified ourselves. Think back over this past week. Just pause for just a moment and think, when did you this week make decisions for your own glory, for your own benefit, rather than for the glory of God? When did you make a decision so that you would be right? And somebody else would be wrong. When did you participate in actions for yourself to receive praise and not pointing to the glory of God? In verse 25, 
Jesus says, the works I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you people do not believe. You know why? Because you're not my sheep. He says, everything I've been doing points to the fact that I am God. That I am the Son of God. That I am God with skin on. But you people don't believe. Why? Because you're not my sheep. And then he says, let me tell you about my sheep. And let me tell you about my church. He says, if you want to experience resurrection life with me at the center, with me getting the glory, focusing on me instead of focusing on you, here's how that practically looks. These three things I'm about to tell you are the inhaling and the exhaling of the resurrected life in Christ. This is how you participate and experience resurrection life in Christ. This is how you Live life as my sheep. These are three things resurrected people do. Number one, my sheep listen to my voice. Resurrected people listen to the voice of Jesus. And Jesus says this in the present tense. More accurate translation might be, my sheep are continually listening to my voice. Resurrected people have a passion for listening to the voice of God. Jesus, speak louder to me than the world and the distractions and the noise and the lies. Jesus, I want to hear you speak to me. Resurrection people have a passion for the voice of God. It's our only hope Jesus, hanging on your words is our only hope to staying alive. It's our only hope to breathing. You are life. Everything else is a lie. Everything else is fading away. Jesus, you are life. We seek the voice of Jesus over and over again. It's not a one-time thing. I prayed a prayer when I was five. It's not that. It's continually seeking and listening to the voice of God. But it is hard. It is hard to be a Christ listener, especially in this world that is screaming so loudly at us, that's screaming all the time through the phones in our pockets, notice me, look at me, answer me, respond to me. And Jesus is saying, I long to speak to you. Will you hear me? I had a high school friend who sent me this message, and he said, Drew, I feel like nobody understands me. I've lost touch with God. I'm stupid. I'm worthless. I'm scrawny. I'm ugly. I'm too skinny. I've got no girlfriend. And I'm living for no reason. The voices of the world were screaming at him when he sent me that message. I mean, what, what was the world telling him his identity was? Unlovable. Unacceptable. You don't have what it takes. You don't have enough. But for most of my life, the loudest message that I've heard screaming at me is, Drew, you need to do more. If you want to be accepted, you need to be better. If you want to be loved, you got to work harder. And if you want God to love you, you sure as heck got to stop repeating those same sins that you've been doing for the last 40 years. You've got to earn God's love. But that's not the voice of Jesus. That is the lie of the enemy. That is the voice of the world. And it is trying to take us down. The voice of Jesus is saying, you are mine. You are my sheep. You are beloved. I am. I am your good shepherd. Never, ever does our status before God depend upon how we feel in the moment, what we have accomplished, what we have done, or what we've left undone. Our status depends on one thing, and that is Christ's effectual death on the cross and resurrection from the tomb, giving us new life in the fact that he is our good risen shepherd. 
He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, resurrection life forever, and they will never perish. The voice of the good shepherd is a liberating voice, a voice that is freeing. It's not oppressive. Jesus never, ever shakes his finger at anyone in Scripture and says, shame on you. I condemn you. No, he says, they condemn you. I don't condemn you. The voice of Jesus is liberating. It is freeing, and it is inviting us to into that resurrected life in Christ. The voice of Jesus doesn't say, do this, and then maybe you'll be good enough to be one of my sheep. The voice of Jesus says, I did this, and now you can belong to me and be one of my sheep because of what I did on the cross. No one, not the devil, not the world, no one has the power to snatch you out of my hand. Be secure in that church. Know that you belong and that we have this invitation into abundant, full, resurrected life with Christ. John 10, 10, Jesus says, I came so that they might have life and life abundantly. Y'all, the other voices in our life are screaming to evoke fear in us, to evoke shame and guilt. And Jesus is saying, you are free to live a resurrected life in me. You are my own, and I claim you as my own forever. Resurrected people listen to the voice of the good shepherd louder than the lies of the world. In verse 27, Jesus continues. He says, I know my sheep. Or in the present tense, I am getting to know my sheep, and they are experiencing me. Number two, resurrected people experience the shepherd's presence Number one, resurrected people listen to the voice of Jesus. Number two, resurrected people experience the shepherd's presence. How does this happen? What happens through number one, we experience the shepherd's presence through listening, through listening to the voice of Jesus. As I mentioned about every time I preach, Natalie and I go to regular marriage counseling, and it's been really helpful for us over the past 14 years of marriage, and um, (laughs) we go more regularly now than we ever have. And, uh, and one of the things that our counselor does with us almost every time is we do this listening exercise. We do mirroring, then validating, then empathizing. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that you just do in marriage counseling. You sit on the couch, and she says, all right, listen to what Natalie says. Now I want you to mirror that. You can use this phrase. What I hear you saying is, please say that with me, what I hear you saying is... And then you can validate, and you can use this phrase, I can see that. Please say that with me. I can see that. And then you empathize. You can use this phrase, I can imagine that would feel. Say that with me. I can imagine that would feel. So a month ago, we're sitting there, and uh, I was sitting beside her on the couch, but my neck kind of was hurting from like staring over here, because we do the two-hour sessions, double price, double time. That's what we need. And, uh, and I moved over to this chair so I could like look at her. And then she, you know, our counselor's like, hey, tell, tell Drew, you know, what's going on? What are you feeling? And so, like, she goes on for five to ten minutes or so. I get, ask her permission to share the story on the way to church this morning. Um, <laughs> and oh, happy Mother's Day, babe. Love you. Um, uh, and so she kind of goes on five or ten minutes kind of saying, like, these are the things I'm feeling. And then our counselor says, okay, I need you to mirror. So say what I hear you saying. You know, we've been doing this for months. She's still kind of coaching me through here. What I, and, she, and I've got a piece of paper with this written down in front of me, you know. 
Guys are hard-headed. Come on, give us grace. All right, so I say, well, what I hear you saying is, and then I take her, you know, five to ten minutes, and uh, I sum it up in, you know, five to ten words, and, um, and our counselor's like, no, 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 no. T- say it again and give a, give a longer response. So then I go like two sentences. She's like, no, no, no. Say everything you heard her say it. And I was like, okay. Well, what I hear you saying? And I just started repeating everything that I heard her say. And it was like, this damn broke in me. And it was like I had not heard her until I started saying out loud the, the words that I heard her say. And then I was able to say, I can see that that is a whole lot on you. And I can imagine that would feel so overwhelming. And it wasn't a lying. It wasn't a fake. I wasn't lying to her. I was just saying what was real because I had said it out loud. I had listened with my words. I wonder what would happen in our relationship with the Lord and with our relationship with his word if we did active listening like that in a similar way with his word. Maybe it's through journaling. Maybe it's through prayer. Maybe it's writing a poem or a song, praying scripture out loud. What would happen if if we read Jesus' word and we said, Jesus, what I hear you saying about me in, in Genesis 1.27 is that you breathed your very breath into my body. And I am not an accident. And I can imagine that would make you feel so proud of me. In Genesis 1.27, God creates us. And then in Psalm 139, he reminds us of what he did when he created us. What would it look like if we read Psalm 139 and, and we would say, Jesus, what I hear you saying is that you know me better than anyone else ever will. That you know how many hairs are on my head. Jesus, I can see that you pay such careful attention to me. And I can see that you must delight in me a lot like a parent delights in a child. Or reading Romans 5, Jesus, what I hear you saying is that even when I turn my back on you, you died for me. Or in Ephesians 2, Jesus, what I hear you saying is that you have freed me and I am no longer a slave to sin. Or in John, 1 John 3, that you have adopted me as your child and that you love getting to be my father. Or in Hebrews 12, Jesus, what I hear you saying is that you are transforming me into your resurrected image. And I could see that that must delight you so much to watching me grow and to look more like you, just like it would delight a mother to watch her daughter looking more like her. And I can imagine that you so long to be close to me. What would it look like for us to take the words of Scripture, to hear the voice of Jesus louder than the world, and to mirror it back to God so we could actually understand what he feels for us? Now, some of you guys out there, some of you women too maybe, are really cerebral, and you're like, I'm not going to go home and journal, Drew. I'm sorry about that. And I would just say, I'm sorry for you. Like, I really would... I really wish that for everyone in here that you could feel the delight of your father 
Just like those of you who are parents, like your kids long to feel that you delight in them. Our faith is a mental faith, an intellectual faith, and it is a full embodied feeling faith. God created us with emotions to feel. What would it look like for you to even pray, God, break down my hard wintertime head so that I could feel your delight in me? What would it look like for you to mirror God's word back to him and say, Jesus, what I hear you saying is this. Resurrected people experience the shepherd's presence through listening to the truth of his word. And third and lastly, resurrected people walk around with Jesus. Jesus said, I'm getting to know my sheep and they follow me. Another translation says, I'm getting to know my sheep and they walk around with me. Can you just picture that? The good shepherd and the sheep following him everywhere. What would it look like if that was our pattern for life, that we walked around with Jesus, that we walked around with an awareness that Christ was with us all day long and that he delighted to be with us? He wasn't with us shaking his finger saying, you messed up again. He's with us longing to be near us and to hold us and to speak to us. And he's saying, will you listen to me? In my effort to beat Reverend Hawkins in our weight loss challenge by our July 1st deadline, which is 50 days from today, I've been moving a little bit more lately. Um, thank the Lord. Down 10 pounds so far. Come on. Um, not as much as Ben Wall's down 30 right now. Um, he's been doing like 120 miles a week. But I, this week I did 24 miles, 24 miles. Um, and I, I took uh, so a few walks. So when I meet with people, a lot of times I'm like, hey, would you mind walk, us walking together instead of us eating Bojangles together? That's helpful for me in my bet with Alan. And so this week I took three walks. I took a walk with Macy Hart around our neighborhood. And it was a really sweet time together. And I was playing music on my phone, like we were walking, and she was like, Daddy, can you turn off the music? And, uh, and I was so grateful that she asked that. And then we just played this game where we, whoever could find the most birds. And we played the bird game, and she beat me 24 to 3. I think she cheated. But I took this great walk with her, and it, was, um, it really tied my heart to her. She's four years old, and I feel like closer to her because I did that. I took a walk around this property with Dodd Drake, and it, was, it tied our hearts together. I took a walk around the bog with Jimmy Sackle, and it tied our hearts together more, experiencing that walking beside each other. What would it look like for you to take a walk with the Lord this week? Maybe you haven't done that in a while, to get up a little bit earlier, to stay up a little bit late and say, Jesus, I want to take a walk with you. But it doesn't just have to be a walk like we think taking a walk. It's an all-day-long awareness that Christ walks with us and that he delights to be with us. And as we listen to his voice, and as we experience his presence and we walk around with him, what happens is we become more aware of the truth about us, what he says about us. And in that, we become more aware of the resurrection life that Christ is currently living in us, that we no longer have to be slaves to sin, that we no longer have to be slaves to the cycle that our grandparents started that we are still falling into. We no longer have to be slaves to any of that, but that Christ has given us confidence that he is the great liberator and frees us. He says in the next verse in John 10, 28, a promise that he is giving us. He says, these are three things I give to my people, my resurrected people who are my sheep. Number one, I give them eternal life, deep, lasting life. And they shall never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my grip. No one will snatch them out of my grip. One easy way to tell whether we're living this temporal focused life on how much can I get out of these 86 years right now 
versus living this life focused on eternity that begins right now. Resurrection can begin now on earth. We don't have to wait to live the resurrected life until we're dead. We can live it now. One way we can tell the difference, am I living a temporal life or a resurrected life, is to examine where are we looking for life? Where are we looking for belonging? Where are we looking for approval and acceptance? If we get life, if we get approval and life from men and from humanity, then their rejection is going to kill us. But if we look for life in Christ, then his death will free us. It is true that when we accept the price that Christ has paid for our sin, that we no longer have to live under the tyranny of that sin, that he frees us, but men's approval will control us. We will become a slave to it. And that is not the life. That is not the abundant life that Christ desires for us. He longs for his children to run free. Over spring break, we went away to a cabin in the middle of the woods and our kids just got to run free. And it was so, so beautiful to watch them just have acres to run in, to play in the creeks and play in the streams and to not be cooped up in front of a screen. I know that just as I feel as a dad, the delight of watching them run free, that God, your father, longs for you to be free from the tyranny of the approval of your followers on social media and the approval of your boss and the approval of your parents. God longs for you to know that you belong to him. And that he speaks his approval over you. A few verses earlier in this chapter, we hear the well-known verses, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I come that, that you may have life, and life abundantly. Our good shepherd destroyed the power of sin on the cross, and he destroyed the power of death with the resurrection. And our good shepherd is a risen shepherd, and he invites us into this resurrection life where everything depends not on us, and not on our worthiness, but on Christ alone. Our only hope in experiencing this resurrection life is that we are good shepherd people, that we are resurrection people, that we are his sheep, and that we belong to him. Next week, we have an exciting Confirmation Sunday, and it's going to be long. So if some of y'all don't like long services, don't come. Um, but it's, we're, we're confirming like 40 people or something, and the bishop's going to be here. And it's kind of confirmation of their faith in Christ. And Melissa and Nathan Hedman have been walking with six of our youth who are going to be confirmed. And they've gone through this really intense confirmation process with a sponsor where they've gone away on retreats. They've been getting here early for like the last 10 weeks to meet for a confirmation class. They've had interviews that they've gone through where they've had to memorize all these different things. And these six kids and these 30-some adults are going to stand up here and say, I belong to Jesus. I'm one of his sheep. And we're going to celebrate with some Benny Lou barbecue afterwards. And it is going to to be a worthy celebration that God is saying, like, these people are my sheep. And these people are saying, I belong to you, Jesus. I don't belong to to the lies of the world. I'm not owned by other people's approval. You are my good, risen shepherd. And we're going to celebrate that together. And it is great, great news. And it is eternal news. And we get to experience and live this resurrection life from now into eternity. That's why we do this every Sunday. We gather on Sundays to celebrate and rehearse that resurrection life and to remind all of us in here, to remind each other that we are resurrection people and that we don't have to live under the tyranny of sin anymore.
1563, a group of folks in Germany put together this document, kind of a confession of what Christians believe in this question and answer form called the Heidelberg Catechism. And I want to read you to close the, the first question that's in that catechism. Church, what is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. He has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair could fall from my head without the will of the Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on forever to live for him. Amen. Would you please stand with me?